Bibles tonight, if you would, the book of Jonah. That's uh, Old Testament, a minor prophet book, close to the end of the Old Testament. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Jonah chapter number three. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you know we've been preaching our way through the book of Jonah. I don't think that there is any minor prophet book more familiar than the book of Jonah. And uh, often it's used as the reason why people don't believe the Bible. They don't think that uh, a man could be swallowed by a whale. They certainly don't think that man could survive being three days in the whale. And so skeptics will say, you don't believe that. And we say, yeah, we believe everything that we find in the scriptures. You know that in Jonah chapter 1, we know that God called Jonah to go preach to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. If he had done that, he would have traveled northeast, but he didn't want to do that. Instead, he went down to the port, found the first ship heading out, he paid the ticket for it, and as quick as he could, he fled completely the other direction. And what did God do? God sent a wind, God sent some waves, God turned that ship into just a disaster. And the people on that ship began to ask, how come, what's going on? Jonah said, God is doing this because of me. Throw me overboard. We know that uh, that's what they did. The ship became calm, but Jonah still wasn't right. Jonah chapter 2, God begins to deal with his heart in the whale. Then when we got to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, God again says to Jonah exactly what he said the previous time. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to those people. And we found this last time that indeed Jonah did. Now, this city of Nineveh is huge. Uh, the smaller estimates, 500,000 people. The bigger estimates, a million people. And you say, well, preacher, it doesn't really give any hint. Where would they come up with that guess? Look at the very last verse of chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 11 God is trying to reason with Jonah, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein more than six score thousand, that's 120,000 persons, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left. And so of that city, 120,000, no doubt uh, were infants, children, couldn't tell the difference between right hand, left hand. This is a huge city. And we saw last time that because of Jonah's preaching, that the entire city got right. All the way from the king that sat on the throne down to the poorest servant that was in that city. And, uh, and you'd say, well, preacher, that's got to be the greatest revival recorded in the Bible. How come we don't see things like that anymore? And that's what we looked at last week. We looked at before revival. We looked at the fact that God, first of all, is looking for a servant that surrendered, somebody that will just simply willing to preach what God says preach, do what God says do. We looked at a passionate proclamation. We looked at crimes confessed and a change that was charted. Preacher, what are we looking at tonight? Verse number 9, Jonah 3 and verse 9 is our text tonight. And uh, follow as I read Jonah 3 and verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for each one that's here. 
Thank you, Lord, that you've arranged our week. So in the middle of the week, we can stop what we're doing, gather, sing these hymns, and then once again look into the Word of God. Would you help us as we continue here in this book of Jonah? Help us to get something that's practical, that will help us in our Christian lives. And Lord, I think it's tucked right in there in verse number 9. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about this man Jonah. He's now three days late, but he finally comes into the city. The Bible says that he went one day's worth into what would have taken three days to get through the city. So he has now traveled one-third of the way into the city. He's just been in a whale for three days. And by some of these secular records, when someone is that long inside of a fish or a whale, they look a mess. The acids inside that whale have probably bleached Jonah's skin. It's likely his hair is completely gone. And here this prophet that they have never seen before, he stands up a third of the way into the city. And he begins to preach. I want you to look what he's preaching there in verse 4, Jonah 3 and verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. They said, in 40 days, you're done. In 40 days, you will be destroyed. I want you to notice there was no mercy in his message. There was no grace in his message. There was no, if you do this, then you can be spared. There was none of that. His only words were yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. They were doomed. I imagine that when some of them heard that, I imagine they figured it's hopeless. We might as well give up. And yet in that hopeless situation where many people probably concluded we should just give up. There was one man who had a different agenda, and the man's not Jonah. The man's the king. Now again, the, these people, if they believe what Jonah's preaching, in 40 days they're done, and there's nothing that they can do to fix it. Well, let's pick up the story there in verse 6, Jonah 3 and verse 6. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, uh, sorry, the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water. But you understand, everybody else thinks we're beyond hope. Everybody else is convinced because they've heard what Jonah said, in 40 days, all will be is a fact of history. And yet one man says, hold on a minute. We can't give up that easy. So what does he do? Verse number six, as he rose from his throne, he laid his royal robes aside and he covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. And he didn't stop there, but he proclaimed, verse number seven, that uh, people should not eat or drink. We call it fasting. 
Look there in verse number 8, but let man and beast with be covered with sackcloth. We call that humility. We can try to put these things together. We keep reading there in verse number 8, and cry mightily unto God. We call that prayer. And there was one more thing there at the end of verse number 8. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Now, I'm trying to repeat it so you don't miss it. Everybody else thinks it's beyond hope. Everybody else is convinced there's nothing we can do. Disaster is inevitable. But one man refuses to roll over and die. And this one man humbles himself. This one man declares to everyone that's under his authority, don't eat and don't drink. That's fasting. Two, he says, cover yourself with sackcloth. That was a Bible method of humility. Three, he says, cry out fervently to God. That's prayer. Fourth thing, he says, turn everyone from his evil way. Now, if you get this, everything else makes sense. This king did not do this because Jonah said, if you do these things, God will change his mind. This king did not do this because there was some scripture verse that he had read that if you will just manifest your brokenness about your sin, if you manifest it this way, then God will change his plan. There was no promise. Jonah didn't offer promise. Jonah didn't preach possible mercy. The scriptures didn't give any reason for this king to do this. You say, well, pastor, then why would the king do it? Look at verse number 9. This is the king speaking. It's not Jonah speaking. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? Look real closely at those words. It says, it doesn't say who can tell if God is able to. Do you know this king was convinced that the God of Jonah could change circumstances? There wasn't a question in the king's mind if God could change it. The question in the king's mind is if God would change it. And all those things that we read in verse 6, 7, and 8 were the steps that a king who believed that God could turn an impossible situation around. This king said, I will go that far. I will humble myself that low. And just maybe, God will turn it around. Now let me make application and we'll get to the points. Maybe you're facing something and it looks absolutely impossible. Maybe you are in the midst of something and other people are saying, I've never seen that thing turn around ever in my life. 
Maybe you have friends and family and relatives and in-laws and even outlaws. They're saying, you must just give up. It's beyond hope, that situation you're in. It's not beyond hope for an almighty God. The question isn't, can God turn around the impossible? The question is, will God turn around the impossible? And you say, preacher, I believe that. I believe God can. As much as all indicators say that this is past hope, pastor, I believe that God can. If you believe that God can turn it around, how far are you willing to go in hopes that God will turn around? Let's folks, if some people, they, they, they said, I'm in an impossible situation. Might be finances. The, the banker has said bankrupt with a capital B. There's no hope. You're done. Uh, it, it might be the doctor. The doctor might have told you the S word, stroke. <laughs> or the H-A word, heart attack, or the C word, cancer. The doctor might have told you something like that and say, there's nothing that we can do. Uh, it, 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 it might be, I don't know it, it might be a court that, that said, sorry, you have lost your children, you can never get, back, get them back again. Uh, it, it might be a judge that, that, that drops the gavel and said, in three days this divorce is final. I don't know what it is. Folks, I don't think any of us here would say that God can't turn around the impossible. The question is, how far are you willing to go in hopes that God will? There's no guarantee. This king wasn't guaranteed if everybody under him followed his command. He had no guarantee that God would turn it around but he was willing to try. Whatever it is you face, I face. Are you willing to try? So if you're taking notes, my title of this is the very question he asked. Who can tell if God will? Who can tell if God will? Look back there in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Jonah chapter 3 and verse number 1 and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And Jonah arose uh, and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I think that you and I probably would conclude that to reach a whole city of a million people, boy, that's almost impossible. <laughs> How are you going to do it? Uh, honestly, uh, how are you going to reach a million people? Now, I suppose if it was Billy Sunday or Billy Graham, they'd say, we're going to rent the biggest coliseum, the biggest uh, stadium, and we're going to send out brochures and invite people to come, and, and we're going to put out advertising for a month, and we're going to hope that all kinds of people come, and then we're going to bring in some barnstorming preacher they didn't have time for all that. I suppose that someone would say, well, if I had to reach a city of a million people, 
I suppose I divided into 20 different sections of, of uh, 500 uh, or 5,000, whatever the numbers are. And uh, I would go to some Bible colleges, and if you got some graduates, and we'd like them to come and start churches, and they'd come take pictures, make slides. They'd then raise their support for two, three years. Then they'd come and maybe after a few years, they'd each have 100 in their church. Folks, 100 churches of 100 people isn't even a drop in a bucket to reaching a city of a million. I'm going somewhere with this. All of those are men's plans. You know what God's plan was? God's plan was to take one willing person. And my first question is this. Who can tell if God will use that one believer I'd sure like to be that one believer. You say, preacher, we, we have an impossible task of reaching this whole city. Imagine those in Winnipeg saying it's an impossible task to reach a city of 650,000. Imagine those that are in Toronto or Vancouver. Do you know God doesn't need any man-made plan to accomplish in the reaching of a city God just wants to find one believer who's willing to be used of God. And folks, that's why when we go out in the streets, and whether it's with tracks or knocking on doors or holding up scripture signs, maybe you're convinced yourself it just doesn't work anymore. Pastor, it just doesn't happen anymore. Who can tell if God will use that one believer? And God did here. In chapter number three, God used one man. I know that when Jonah walked into the city of Nineveh, he didn't have a church building. He didn't have a pulpit. He didn't have a sign that he could hang out front. He didn't have a team of Christians to back him up. All he had was himself, just one. And God used that one. God reaching Nineveh didn't take a hundred surrendered, it took one. Repentance was possible because one man would obey God. One voice was sufficient to stir that great city. I'd like you to imagine as this one man, well just one, begins to preach. As he begins to preach, probably a few people gathered around to listen. As he continued to preach, more and more people gathered around Maybe he had to get a higher location in the courthouse steps as he preached in marketplaces in the city streets and corners. People began to open their windows so they could hear it too. And it's not long before that whole city was shaken because of the preaching. Soldiers maybe came to Jonah and stopped him and said, the king wants to speak with you. Imagine what Jonah thought. And instead of them arresting Jonah to take before the king, they usher this Jonah before the king, and the king says, why is it that this whole city is in an uproar? And Jonah tells that king, and that king comes off his throne, and he takes off his royal robes, and he puts sackcloth and ashes on. I'm saying, who can tell if God will use just one? Wouldn't you want to be that one? Jonah was willing to be that one. Throughout the Bible, Moses was one. God used him to reach two million. 
David was one. God used him to reach the nation of Israel. Deborah was one, and Esther was just one. Isaiah was one, and Mary was one. Paul was just one. You know, there's no palace so high that this man's voice couldn't reach. I'm trying to say, whatever you're facing, will you just be the one that God that does what God tells you to do? Just be one. Say, Pastor, I wish there was others that stood with me. So did Jonah. But he didn't use the excuse because others aren't with me. There's no point in me trying. He was one man who tried. I say, first of all, we see in the text, who can tell if God will use that one believer? I heard the story many, many years ago. There was a lady that had a Sunday school class of school-age boys. And the least promising boy in her class was a, a raggedly dressed boy named Bob. The superintendent, so not the teacher, but the superintendent of Sunday school bought Bob a new set of clothes for church. After three Sundays, Bob was missing. The teacher visited only to discover those new clothes were now torn and dirty. She told the superintendent and he went and bought another set of clothes for Bob. Well, Bob returned to Sunday school, but after a couple more weeks, he was missing again. The teacher learned that uh, that second outfit was now torn, and she was absolutely discouraged. She said to the superintendent, we need to give up on him. And the superintendent said, no, no, don't give up on him. I'll buy a third set of clothes if he'll promise to come. Bob did. You know, that boy began to attend regularly. He became an earnest Christian, joined the church, became a teacher himself, studied for the ministry, and he became Dr. Robert Morrison, who is a missionary to China. There's a teacher who said, we don't really need that one. And somebody encouraged and said, we need everyone, and you need to be the teacher that that one needs. Whatever responsibility God's given you, you be the faithful one. I give you a second thing about who can tell if God will. Uh, look there in verse number four. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, it's one thing for a preacher to say God's going to judge your sin. It's another thing for that preacher to say it's going to happen in 40 days. God's going to judge your sin is just a generic statement. To say God's going to judge it in 40 days, that's a very pointed statement. For, someone, for a preacher to say our church won't always be the same as today. It's another thing for that preacher to say by October 31st, that's about 40 days, it won't be the same. I'm saying these people, when they heard this message, 40 days stuck in their mind. As one day passed, 39 are left, 38 are left, 37, 36, 35, 15, 14, 13. And I think ringing in their ears was in 12 more days, it's all over. And yet we read that this king put sackcloth and ashes on and he commanded the people not to eat or drink. 
What good is that going to do? I wonder if the king thought maybe it'll delay it one more day. Could you write the second thing down? Who can tell if God will extend it one more day? If God will extend it one more. Maybe you're working on a deadline. Maybe a doctor's given a deadline. Maybe a banker's given a deadline. Maybe a boss at work is given a deadline. You say, preacher, there's, there's no hope. How far are you willing to go to God add, for God to add one more day to that? Preacher, it, it, it's, there's no use. I, I have a date that's been set in stone. How far will you go for one more day? And here, as Jonah is preaching and saying 40 days, this king, against everything he's heard, is going as far as he can, because just maybe God will extend it one more day. Folks, whatever you're facing, don't give up. You say, Pastor, it's 10 days away. Preacher, it's seven days away. Preacher, I've been given written notice that I'll be evicted from my house. Pastor, I've been told that if I don't have the surgery by the end of November that it's going to be too late. Why don't you see how far you will go for God to extend that deadline one more day? Who can tell if God will? I give you a third thing. Look there, if you would, in Jonah 3, verse 5. Jonah 3 and verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. I've already mentioned that in Jonah's message, there was no mercy. Jonah said, In 40 days it shall be overthrown. I don't think there was even a tear in Jonah's eye when he said it. <laughs> I say that because chapter 4. Jonah's mad at God that God didn't destroy that city. I don't think that Jonah had any feeling in his heart, no brokenness there. And yet with that cold, hard message of judgment, the king said, yeah, but who can tell? Could I give you a third thing? Who can tell if God will save one more sinner? Who can tell if God will save one more sinner? You say, Pastor, I, I, I used to hand out tracts, but... I never see, I saw anything happen from her. Yeah, but what if you getting back out there, one more sinner will get saved. Who can tell? Folks, this isn't the time for churches to ease up. This isn't the time for churches and Christians to give up. We've got to believe that when we do what God's asked us to do, one more will get saved. One more will hear it. One more will want to know the way to heaven. I give you a fourth thing. I'm done with this. Jonah 3 and verse 9. Uh, we're looking at who can tell if God will. And that's really what the king was gambling everything he was doing on that truth. I know that God can. But I wonder if God will. We've seen tonight who can tell if God will use that one believer. Secondly, who can tell if God will extend it one more day? Who can tell if God will save one more sinner? Finally, Jonah chapter 3 and verse 9, who can tell 
if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. It's pretty obvious that King is convinced in verse 9. God is angry with us. And God's angry with sin, of course he is. He was convinced in verse 9 that God was angry. God found no joy in those Ninevite people. Would you write this fourth thing down? Who can tell if God will rejoice one more time? Who can tell if God will rejoice one more time? Because of bad decisions on behalf of that city, God's anger was directed at them. But here this king thought, you know, maybe there's some things that we can do so God won't be angry with us anymore. So God can smile upon us again. Maybe there's someone here who said, Preacher, I, I, I used to know what the touch of God was. I used to know the sweetness of the Christian life. I used to know how wonderful it was to walk with God. Pastor, I don't see that anymore. Preacher, I don't feel that anymore. Who can tell? There isn't something you can do to make God smile upon your life again. Are you willing to do that? Uh, we that have grandchildren, isn't it a sweet thing when you get to spend time with that grandchild? Uh, for me it is. Just see that grandchild, whether it's a, a statement that you say or a, a, a game that you play or a gift that you give or a pat in the back or a hug or a tickle. Isn't it a sweet thing to put a smile on that grandchild's face? And when you put a smile on that grandchild's face, that grandchild puts a smile on your face. It, it might not be a grandchild. Maybe it's a grandparent, if you still have grandparents. <laughs> I, I remember my grandmother. She's in heaven right now. But when she was put into a nursing home, and I'd go to visit, and uh, I try to find something that make my grandmother happy. found out that she loved fruit. It would be soft fruit. It would be like a plum, a soft plum. Uh, or a, uh, mm, a peach, if it was a peach or a nectar, but that'd be soft. Right across from her old folks' home, there was a little fruit market. And uh, I would always go there and just buy two or three. And one day I went to visit her about two or three peaches, a little plastic knife it took along, and I took one of those cans of, of whipped cream foam. I hadn't taken that before. And so my grandmother's sitting in this wheelchair. She's got this little desk in front of her. And I said, Grandma brought you some peaches. And I took this little plastic knife and started cutting these into little pieces. And I said, Grandma, I said, I've got something beside peaches. And I, I took this can of this whipped cream and I shook it up. And of course, at the end, where if you pressed on the nozzle, and as I pressed on that nozzle, I was looking at her face to see how much she wanted. Her eyes lit up. And I could see that this was something new to her. I said, Grandma, do you know what this is? And she, she, she couldn't hardly talk anymore. I said, this is whipped cream. And she watched as it came out of that can. I said, Grandma, would you like to put this on there? She nodded her head worked to get that can in her hands, and she struggled. She couldn't push it right, so I helped push it. 
That put a smile on her face. And you know what? The smile on her face put a smile on my face. Who can tell but that you could put a smile back on God's face? Who can tell? Here's what I'm trying to say. Maybe you're facing something that every other voice in your life is saying, give up, beyond hope. It can't be restored. It can't be fixed. It can't be reclaimed. Just give up. I'm saying don't give up. This whole nation listened to Jonah. He offered no hope whatsoever. But there was one man, a king, who said, we can't give up that easy. Let's show God how far we are willing to go with no guarantees, with no Bible promise. And when we do that, who can tell what God will do? Let's pray. Father, that's really a very encouraging question. Here's a king that had no guarantee. All he had was a message of doom and gloom in his ears. But he didn't give up. He kept trying. And all those under his control, he convinced and commanded them, this is what we're going to do. And who can tell when we do it? if God won't fix our problem. Help us, Lord, not to have lines drawn in the sand where we say, God, I'll do this much and no more. Help someone here tonight that's facing something impossible to say, God, I'll go just as far as I possibly can believing that you can turn this around. Help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.